Welcome to Dropping In from Omega Institute, a podcast that explores the many ways to awaken the best in the human spirit. I'm Callie Alpert. Dropping in today, Marissa Peer. Marissa is a world-renowned therapist, rapid transformational therapy trainer, and best-selling author. She has 30 years of experience helping clients, including rock stars, CEOs, and Olympic athletes to better their lives and shed old inner narratives using her simple, rapid, and effective techniques. Her latest best-selling book is Tell Yourself a Better Lie. She also recently launched Dietless Life, a unique weight management program designed to enable people to lose weight while maintaining a healthy relationship with food. Welcome, Marissa. Thanks so much for dropping in today. So good to see you. Thank you for inviting me. It's just lovely to be here. I'm excited to meet you. Thank you. So let's start with the the overarching theme of your teachings and your expertise is that the stories we tell ourselves inform the experiences and the circumstances that we create. So I'm curious where these stories come from and how this actually works. Where does that correlation get get formed? Oh, very, very early on. If you imagine being a little baby, you know, a baby in the womb, all their needs are met. And babies are born expecting you to love them. No different to having a little tiny puppy or kitten. They bound up and they expect nothing but love. Very early on in our childhood, certainly by the time we're past one and even before two, a child begins to think, oh, my mum isn't paying attention to me. Because children before the age of five have no logic at all, only feeling. Their kind of narrative goes like this. My mum is not being nice. It must be my fault. My daddy isn't here. It must be my fault. My mum's always sad. It must be my fault. And the saddest thing I've ever seen in all my years of practice is that when a child doesn't feel loved by the caregiver. That could be mom, dad, foster parents, grandparents. When they don't feel love, they never stop loving the caregiver. They immediately stop loving themselves. They believe they're not worthy of love. And sadly, once they buy into that, they can carry that with them their entire life because it's almost a tag for a child. I call it tagging. A child looks, I don't have a dad. My mom's not here. My dad's always shouting. We don't have money. And the tag is, I can't fix this. It will always be like this. And then they go through life with the same belief. I'm not lovable. I can't fix it. It'll always be this way. So the stories we tell ourselves at a very early age are the ones that stay with us long after they cease to be true, if they ever were true. They may not have been true. They may have been partly true, but true or not, once we've told ourselves that story, I'm not lovable, I'm not worthy, I'm not enough, I need to earn love, find love, chase love, work for love, I need to be more, I need to be smarter, better, nicer, cuter, more interesting to get love. And of course, you and I know that isn't true, but for a child, it feels true in their situation, and so it stays with them. Why are these themes and these stories so enduring? And so how do they penetrate so readily? Because it does seem like it's universal, isn't it? Well, you know, first we make a belief and then the belief turns around to make us, but then we have something called confirmation bias. So let's imagine I have a story when I was three, a dog jumped up and bit me. And now I believe that dogs are really scary. And when I see a dog, I start to panic because I've made a belief And the dog picks up my panic and the dog doesn't like me either. It's like if you hold a baby, you don't like babies. They they know that. If you get on a horse, you don't like a horse. They know and they try to get you off. So you make the belief for all kinds of 
of reasons, but the belief also makes you people say, you know, I'm I'm no good with people. I, I can't do confrontation. I, I blush when people look at me. I I, I can't have a relationship. I, I'm not good under pressure. And when you believe that belief, you start to make that belief real, even if you don't like it. And then you look for proof. And I see that very much in the world of eating. If I look at a cake, I gain a pound. I'm the kind of person, if I don't know what full is, I need sugar to feel better. I can't imagine. And then I go, look, you see, that's true because look what happened. I had a cake and then I had five more cakes. So that's who I am. It almost becomes an identity belief. You see, if you look at a vegan, a vegan has a story. I don't eat meat. I wouldn't care if I was flying to um, LA on a 15-hour flight and all they had was beef. I wouldn't eat it because I don't eat meat. That's a good story. And the confirmation bias, they have a lot of proof. Well, I was at a dinner party, all they had was beef. I didn't eat it. I, I was very hungry, but I waited until I went home or I just managed with the vegetables. And so there are good stories and bad. It's the bad ones that cause the problem. I can't keep a relationship no matter what I do. Every job I have, I get fired. Any person I meet is going to ghost me. I get fat just looking at cookery books. And they sound so crazy, but they're really, they uh, see the thing about the mind is your mind's job is to make your thoughts real. You might go, well, that's not true, but it is. If you think an embarrassing thought, you might go bright red. Even if you're at home in your kitchen, think a sad thought, your eyes fill up with tears. Think about food and your tummy will rumble. Think about sex and you often feel physically very aroused. There's no one in the room to arouse you, but you're getting aroused or feeling sad or embarrassed or hot or cold or nervous or excited by a thought. So before we get more deeply into the process of what you do with your clients, is anybody immune? Is anybody exempt from inner stories and the lies that we tell ourselves? You know, I was talking to a client yesterday who said, I was loved so much. My parents adored me. I was the only son. My sisters loved me. And I was forever disappointed that I didn't find that adoration in the world. I thought, oh, I've got to earn love. I've got to work for it. I thought I could have a girlfriend and she'd worship me too. My father was a bit like that. His mother idolized him. And he became a head teacher and all the students idolized him. And my father didn't understand not being idolized, which is very different to someone who has not been loved at all. So it, it's strange how even an amazing childhood can often not prepare you for real life. It's better to have that. But yeah, I don't really think anyone is exempt. It's interesting what you said about your father being, you used the word idolized by his mom. Oh, absolutely. And you've talked very openly about the fact that uh, his work as a headmaster and the attention that he gave the kids at school precluded him perhaps from coming home and having the same reserve of love or attention for you. Mm. So it sounds like you're describing the opposite, kind of the flip side of the same coin. I just, that's, I find that interesting. Is that a correlation that's informed the way that you mm -mm. grew up or the inner stories that you found in yourself? Yeah, and my dad was a wonderful, wonderful man. People thought he was a saint, and in many ways he was a saint. He was really one of those people who was always championing the underdog. He'd look out for the deprived kids, and he'd make sure that they got some secondhand school uniform. He'd make sure they got lunch. He'd, he'd always looking out for those. But 
we weren't deprived as far as he knew. So he wasn't looking out for us. And he would have said he gave us everything except the thing that mattered, which was his time. He got up early, went to that school, came home late because he was so good that he did all his paperwork in his own time. So he could spend every day at that school helping children. And he would have said, oh, you had, he did say to me, you had a charmed life, an amazing life. You had everything. I said, yeah, but I didn't. I didn't have your attention. I didn't have your time. And I didn't. But when I grew up, I was always attracted to men who I didn't have their attention either. Because, of course, that's the pattern. The mind is so interesting and in that it, it tries to recreate what it already knows and put a happy ending. And I had a cold, absent father. I know. I'm going to find a cold, absent guy and make him crazy about me when really the best thing is, oh, don't do that. That's what a waste of time. Go and find a guy who's crazy about you up front. Find one who's already warm and engaged and present. Don't go and find one like your dad. But of course, I didn't understand them. I understand now. We recreate what we know and try to change the ending. So many women will say, my dad is an alcoholic. I date alcoholics. My mom was cold and mean. I seem to love cold, mean women because we're trying to recreate what we know and change the ending until we learn, actually, you know what? I can change the beginning so much easier. I've heard you say that before, and I love that. It's yeah. so concise and it makes so much sense. It's very powerful. Yeah, it's like about, you know, let me go out and find someone where I can work for their love and earn their love and buy their love and chase their love. It's like there's so many people who give you their love like that. Go somewhere else. You know, the mind, problem with the mind is that it, it really, not only does it love what is familiar, it is hardwired and super coded to go back to what it knows. That's why if you have a two-year-old, they go, I don't want that yogurt, it's not strawberry. I don't want that bowl, it's the wrong. I only want that spoon, that bowl, that type of cereal. I want the same bedtime story every night because familiar makes us safe. If we were living in a fort, we wouldn't go, you know, I think I'll go and meet some Native American Indians today. I'm a bit bored with these people because same kept us safe. We Children will only eat what they know at two because that's what kept them alive when they could wander around and pick berries. And so the very thing that kept us safe, same, same old, same old, is also the thing that we fight against because the mind wants to run towards what it knows while running away from what it doesn't. It wants to go to what's familiar and resist what is unfamiliar. But all you have to do then is make great stuff familiar. Because that's where the mind keeps going back. Because if you have four sugars in your coffee and you take it out, it tastes horrible. But a few months later, you think, I can't believe I drank it like that. It's so disgustingly sweet. And that's the thing. When you can dialogue with yourself and tell your mind what you want, it just makes life so much easier in every possible way. I've heard different formulas over the years about changing patterns in the mind and neuroplasticity and 28 days and 30 days. Um, how receptive is the mind to changing, even with the examples that you just gave in terms of just redirecting your storyline on a particular day? Do you know the mind is very receptive to change because 
let's face it, the day we're born, we start changing. We change every day until the day we're not here anymore. But you have to understand a lot of the mind to understand. If you want your mind to change, you've got to understand what runs it. And the mind only works in the present tense. It really doesn't future pace. Saying to a bullied kid, you know, next year you're going to a different school. Saying to a depressed person, oh, this will pass. Summer's coming. We're going on holiday. It's like, doesn't mean a thing because we can only live in the moment. People under extreme pain often want to take their life because they can't even imagine the pain. And that can be emotional pain, can be physical pain. So the mind only works in the present and you've got to really understand that. And when you're talking about change, you have to say things like now, I'm changing now, I'm lovable now, I'm super smart now, I'm attractive now, I'm abundant now. And when you learn to talk yourself out of it, I could get rejected, I could bomb at this presentation, I could go over the interview and mess it up, but also you could be amazing. So never go down that let me talk myself out of it. Let's talk yourself into it. You can be amazing. This could be the day you have a date and it's your soulmate and it's going to change everything. So always use your mind to talk yourself into good stuff and out of bad stuff and never do it the other way around. And that's not even hard because we talk to ourselves every day. Oh my God, this is awful. This is horrible. This is going to go wrong. You might as well say, this is amazing, this is wonderful, this is fantastic. Do you remember the first time you noticed uh, an inner narrative in your own mind that perhaps worked against you and how it manifested? You know, because my father was my head teacher, my father was a lovely man. I'm not having a pity party for myself at all. In fact, I wouldn't change any of my childhood because it gave me such an insight into feeling different. And I felt different all through my school days because my father was my head teacher, which I wouldn't advise that to any kid. I couldn't have not felt different. But then when I left school, I'd bought into this and different and not the same as other kids. My father is the head teacher. All the teachers expect so much of me. And all the kids at school want to come to my house to see what it's like. Or well, they don't want to come because they don't like my dad. And so... I felt different. And something I noticed was that I took that with me. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I said, well, I'm different. I'm different. So I can't connect. I'm different. So I'm not enjoying this. I'm different. I think I just go back home um, and be in the life I knew. And I, I kind of acted in a way that I would exclude myself from so many things because I had told myself I'm different. I made that belief. It actually made me. And then I was always looking for the confirmation was the proof that I was different. One day I thought, you know, the truth is I was studying human behavior by then. Our greatest fear is to be different. And every person on the planet has that fear. And if I have the fear of being different, it actually makes me the same as everyone. It's a powerful idea, the self-fulfilling prophecy piece. Mm. The self-fulfilling prophecy, that will make me sick. That's going to go wrong. I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to be late and everything is going to go wrong. I know this relationship is going to last. They're going to find out who I am. They're bound to dump me. And it's so sad that, that we do that to ourselves. So you created the system Rapid Transformational Therapy, also known as RTT. Can you talk about what it is, how it works? Yeah. You know, RTT, I never, I know that all therapists are great people and all they care about really is helping, but I never understood why therapy is the one healing modality that bring me your pain, 
And it's going to be a long process. We're going to talk about it for weeks and weeks, maybe years and years. And you might get better. You might not. But you're going to learn to have a relationship with me about trust. And that's going to change everything. Because when I broke my arm in the snow in London, I went to the hospital. I didn't have to trust my doctor. He was there. I believed he would help me. He did. And I thought therapy should be the same. Therapy should say, hey, bring me your pain. And I'm going to do the very best I can to move you out of that pain as fast as I can. You have um, irritable bowel. Well, that's a lot to do with your nervous state. And I can help you change that. And when people come to me and say, I've got tension headaches, I say, well, we can get rid of the tension headaches now. Obviously, we're going to do some work to have you manage your emotional state better, but we can stop the migraines today. We can stop the irritable bowel, the panic attacks, because people going to therapy want one thing. Can you stop my pain? Can you get me out of pain as fast as you can? And the answer should be, yes, actually I can, because clients want to be removed from their pain. And most therapists would love to remove clients from their pain. And so RTT is a fast way of doing therapy. It, it just doesn't say. So I'll give you an example. I might work with a client who say I was working with someone recently who had all kinds of illnesses. And as I was talking to her, she told me a couple of things. And RTT, there was a rather like detectives. We're primed to look for them. And she said, well, you know, when I was seven, my dad died, but he was ill from the day I was born. And he died and my mom was very poor and she was doing three jobs and no one could take care of me. And then when I was 24, I had three children. My husband left, nobody could take care of me. And then my mom got cancer and I was taking care of everyone. And I said, I want you to say I needed to be taken care of because, because often the therapist will say, and what does that mean? And how did that feel? And what did that look like? But you don't need to do any of that. And she just suddenly said, I got ill because I wanted someone to take him. I said, of course, you know, and you didn't think, oh, hey, I know I'll get sick. What a great idea. You say to your mind, the genie, I need someone to take care of me. I must be taken care of. I want to. Who could take care of me? And the, the genie goes, you want to be taken care of? Your wish is my command. How about being ill? And she literally had a carer. And I said, you know, all of this makes perfect sense, but you're an independent, strong woman. You do it all yourself. And her son could be so the most amazing is I went into her room and she said, stop fussing. I don't need any of that. I'm absolutely fine. And all her illness has gone away. Now, she didn't create that. But how interesting that she had a longing, a wish to be cared for. And for the mind, that's not a longing. It's an absolute request. It's a command. Be very careful what you wish for because you might just get it. And so RTT, the line of questioning shortcuts all of that. I don't say to a client, oh, you know, when you were five, your dad died. And I say, I want you to say I'm five years old. My dad's died. And I feel, and I say, I feel abandoned. And I feel abandoned because, because obviously he didn't love me or he would have stayed here. So it really shortcuts the long drawn out because is the most influential word in the English language. When you say, I feel abandoned because, I feel angry because, I feel helpless because, it's an opener, not a closer. When you say, why do you eat so much? I don't know, I'm just a pig. 
I feel I must eat because I'm empty inside. I'm empty inside because, well, my needs weren't met. My needs weren't met. The emptiness inside all of us is our unmet needs, the needs that were not met as a child. And so I said, oh, I see. I eat because I've got unmet needs. Yes. I'm disconnected from my body. Yes. And I can fix that absolutely by saying when I was a kid, and for every person this is the same, I needed to be safe, loved, secure, connected, significant. Every baby has those needs. And then when you get a bit older, still a child, you only have a couple more. I need to feel seen and heard, celebrated, someone to be proud of me, someone to have my back. And all our life, we have those same needs. And what happens is when we don't feel safe or connected or loved or significant, we often give the need away. Well, someone out there is going to have to show up in my life and meet my need to be safe. Can you make me feel loved? Can you make me feel I matter? And sometimes you go, yeah, I found someone. Oh, joy, they're doing it. But of course, they have issues too, and then they can't do it anymore. We're back to square one. Or we do the other thing, which is I'm giving that need up. I'm going to live with my cats in my house, get everything delivered, work from home. I'm not asking for anything. But when you realize that actually you can meet your needs yourself, sure, you can make yourself feel safe and loved and significant. You might think, well, how does that even happen? But you start to say the magic words that I recommend everyone says every day I matter, I'm lovable. I'm enough, I'm significant. And so RTT just cuts to the chase. And now a word about Omega Teacher Studio. Get ready to be inspired from your very own cushion, yoga mat, or couch. Omega Teacher Studio brings your favorite teachers direct to you, live and online, from their studios for one plus hour classes on topics that matter the most. They're easy to fit into your schedule and affordable too. Learn more at eomega.org studio. To receive a 10% discount on any teacher studio tuition, enter the code DI10 when registering. That's the letters DNI and the numbers one and zero. Now back to our episode. I'd like to talk a little bit further about the difference between RTT and finding the shortcut versus traditional therapy based on what you were mentioning earlier, because I feel like some might say that shortcuts don't exist when you have deep-seated wounds that need to be healed, and that that process takes time, and you have to gut out all the feelings, and you have to embody the shift versus just switch and think the shift in your mind. So can you speak a little bit to that and have... You ever had to deal with naysayers or people that might not realize that this works for them? People say to me, you know, the words rapid have no business going in front of the words therapy. Who are you to turn up and offer that? What kind of carnage do you create? But, you know, the truth is, can you change in 21 days? You can change in 21 seconds. One of my clients, for instance, she got some chickens to keep in her garden to lay eggs. And all of a sudden, she could never eat chicken again. She just loved those chickens had a character to her. One of my clients, who's a farmer's daughter, went on a school trip to an abattoir, came out, and that was it. She could never eat meat again. And often, if you ask people, is there any food that made you sick? Oh, yes. You know, at school, these uncooked eggs, I drank some whiskey. I can't even look at it now because in that moment, when you're over the toilet going, I'll never 
eat oysters again as long as I live. I'll never drink rum again. Then the mind gets it. But there are three ways we change. There's instant change. We all want that. I read a book. A hypnotist said I could never eat sugar again. And I'd never eaten sugar since. It's amazing. We love that. But there's also cumulative change where bit by bit we think, oh, I'm not shouting at my kids. I'm so much calmer. I'm sleeping better. And then there's retroactive change where we don't even know we've changed. We look back and think, when did I last have a headache? When did I last get an upset? I can't even remember because there is a lag time. But human beings are wired to change. Change is easy. You want to have change. In fact, a lot of us fear change. But you, the only way you can feel great about your life is to control the direction of change in your life and indeed make it change. But I was talking to my friend this morning about a friend of ours who's very ill. And I said, you know, people, somebody said to me recently, what's it like to be a senior? I said, honestly, I haven't got a clue. They would never use that word. But since you ask, it's an immense privilege. Getting older is a privilege that some people never get. My best friend died when I was 19. She never got to get pregnant or get married or have a baby. So I can go, oh, I'm getting old. Everything's changing. The knees have gone a bit creepy, which they have. Or I could say, well, what a joy. You know, I'm going to live until I'm 102. And not everyone gets that privilege. So when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that it's so important to understand. One of my favorite expressions is the feeling that cannot find its expression in tears will cause other organs to weep, which means, you know, feel your feelings until they no longer require to be. But my other one is when you don't fix your wounds, you bleed on people that never cut you. So therapy is about fixing your wounds, and that's a good thing. But you can do it faster. You know, I, I, I just wonder if that whole... 60s psychoanalysis thing is just stuck in the 60s because in the 60s they didn't believe you could possibly do Skype therapy because it wasn't Skype. People didn't even have phones. Of course, you couldn't do Skype therapy or Zoom therapy or FaceTime therapy. But of course, in lockdown, we all learn you can do therapy on a screen. And guess what? It's actually just as good. So it's exciting that, you know, we've for all the things that are wrong with social media, there's a lot that's really good about it too. And just because something was, just because once doctors were God and police officers were gods and teach officers were God, teachers were gods, we now know actually they're also flawed people. And don't give your power to anyone else. The power for how you feel is in your hands and you have tremendous power to change your dialogue, change your narrative. The biggest thing is do not make someone else's story your story. I should have been a girl. I should have been a boy. I should have been in the family law firm. I should have been cuter, better, nicer. Don't make someone else's story your story. And if you're going to tell yourself a lie, and when you say things like, oh, my head's killing me, I'm, I'm eating like an out-of-control maniac. I'm a train wreck. My legs are the size of a house. Clearly, that's a lie. But if you're prepared to lie, tell yourself a better lie because your mind doesn't know or care what you tell it. You really might as well tell it amazing things 
because it really can change your life. I, it certainly did that to me. I was going to ask you, are you still in the process of telling yourself better lies? Is there one that's particularly persistent? All the time. You know, of course, obviously it was a while ago now when I had a baby, but I was told I could never get pregnant. It just wasn't possible. I didn't even have periods. And I was told that would never work. And even if you did, you have this genetic issue and your daughter's going to have the same thing or your baby. So I was told I could never get pregnant. And even if I did, my baby would have a genetic defect and I couldn't carry it to full term. And when I got pregnant and had a perfect baby, I thought, isn't that amazing? Thank God I didn't listen. Thank God I had a voice when my doctor was telling me that, saying, don't let that in. Don't give them agency. And so often we give well-meaning people, you know, the wrong thing. In fact, one of my clients said to me, you know, my dad's got cancer. He's been given 10 months to live. And he's just doing that. Nine months left, eight and a half. And it's terrible. He's just waiting to die. You know, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't plan anything. He says, I'll never see my granddaughters get married. I'll never watch them grow up. And so she brought me in to see him. And I was saying to her, you know, my very first boyfriend died of cancer. And what was so sad is that they wouldn't give him chemo. They said, there's no point it's not going to work for you. And they sent him straight to a hospice, but your doctor's giving you chemo and he must believe you're going to live because it's a lot of money. In England, it's $40,000 to have chemo and it's all on the national health. And I didn't lie to him, but it kind of was a lie in a way because I don't even know if that's true, but I knew for him saying, telling him the story, which was the true story. My first boyfriend wasn't allowed to have chemo. They said it wouldn't work in the center into a hospice and he died. But your doctor is giving you, he must believe there's a chance. And that man is still alive today because I told him a better lie. And so just telling yourself something better, you know, you have to understand that there is nothing that will boost your self-esteem like praise, but there is nothing that will diminish it like criticism. And one of the things that will change your life so easily is to praise yourself a lot and criticize yourself really as little as possible because praise builds yourself and criticism withers it. And is that a lie saying, I'm great, I'm amazing? Muhammad Ali said, I told myself I was the greatest and I really wasn't, but I said it, I am the greatest I float like a butterfly, I sting like a bee. Nobody can defeat me. And we all believed it. And he believed it. And he wasn't undefeated at all. But we still see him as this amazing, uh, the greatest, the king. And that was a great thing because he said it and the world followed him. But when you say, I'm the most useless, I'm the most hopeless, I'm the most terrible, that thought is radiating out from you, an energy that people pick up and feed back. So think better thoughts. We have to turn fear into excitement, nervousness into excitement, negativity into positivity, and tell yourself a better lie because it might just change your life. I'd like to hear from you the three most popular sort of um, negative issues or vices that you work with with your clients and the three most unusual. I'm not enough. Love isn't available to me. 
and whatever I want isn't available. I find that all of my clients only have three things wrong with them. So the three is quite interesting because the first one is I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, I need more, more cake, more alcohol, more shopping, more drugs, more followers, more more attention because I'm not enough. The second one is what I want isn't available. I, I can't find love because I was given up for adoption. I'm, I didn't go to college. I'm not smart. So I want something that's not available to me. And the third one is I'm different. So I can't connect. And in my 30 plus years as a therapist, all of my, I can put all my clients into three categories. This one isn't enough. This one feels what they want isn't available. And this one thinks they're different, so they can't connect. And some of them have all of that. So that would be the three things. And what was your second question again? Are there, can you name the three most unusual narratives or lies you've had clients tell themselves? Well, I've had a few clients tell tell them. One of my clients came in and said, you know, I'm an extraterrestrial being. And because I'm an extraterrestrial being, where where I my planet, we we make love to people with our mind. And I've met a human woman and I don't know how to make love to her. I said, Well, I think your mind would tell you, surely if you've got this mind and you can make love with your mind, then your mind could he said, Yeah, that's true, isn't it? My mind could tell me how to make love with my body. So occasionally clients will come in and say, you know, I was Cleopatra and Mark Antony betrayed me and now I can't find love. And they're so into this thing. And I never say that's ridiculous. So they go, well, that's amazing. But, you know, you're not Cleopatra today. Or if you think you're reincarnated in a world and maybe you could – Pick better. You know, normally when you have someone that betrays you, you have an antenna that makes you smarter. Often when you have a betrayal of that extent, it makes you actually more aware of what you don't want. So you can use that. So I have had clients tell me all kinds of amazing things. They were reincarnated. They should have been someone else, that their whole life has been ruined because they had an awful mother. And I say, listen. If your life was a clock, your childhood was the first 10 minutes, you had an awful mother, an absent father, that's a great shame. I'd love to change that. I can't, but I can change the next 50 minutes because it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Some of the happiest people in the world, Oprah Winfrey, have a miserable childhood. Tony Robbins had about seven fathers before he became an adult. We meet people who say, no, I was given up for adoption. Look at Eminem. He was put in lockers, his mother gave him Valium. The kids used to pee on him. Look at um, Ed Sheeran, who at 14 was busking and sleeping on park benches. And yet they don't go, oh, woe is me. They go, no, I, I was determined. Eminem always says that anger about his childhood, he put it into rapping and it made him amazing. Adele didn't have a father, he wasn't around. But you have a choice, again, rationalize, it was so bad didn't have a dad, I was really poor. Oh, well, you know what? I'm free. But it's just the the ability to see things in a way that no one else would see. You know, I, I remember so much meeting a client once who told me that her parents had tried to terminate her. And when she was older, they told her because they figured a family member would tell her. And she, when they told me, they said, you know, you're such a strong girl. 
we were so stupid. We decided we didn't want you. We tried to not have you, but you wouldn't go. And we realized later you're meant to be here. And she said, I always believed that. And she is an amazing human rights lawyer because of that belief. I'm meant to be here. There's something amazing me to do. But then I had another client who said, you know, I found out my parents tried to terminate. That was it for me. The end of the world. Well, how could I be anything? But just because your parents didn't love you, couldn't love you, wouldn't love you, that doesn't mean you're not lovable. And again, it's the first 10 minutes. It's never too late to find people who love you deeply. You know, we love that word, the, the comfort of strangers. We may have awful parents and our belief is I'm broken. You're not broken. You had a broken childhood. I'm damaged. No, you're not. But your parenting was damaged. You had flawed parenting, broken parenting, or a damaged child. But that doesn't mean you're damaged. It just means that where you were parented was damaged. You're not broken, but your childhood was broken. And so people who do well always go back and reframe it as well. Can never be that bad again. You know, your childhood is not the best days of your life. The first bit isn't the best bit. It's often the worst bit. But every stage can be amazing if you decide to look at it differently. The reframe, that really is such a great takeaway. And I love the uh, image of the clock or the, yeah. the pie of yeah. life and sort of minimize, not minimizing, but yeah. Putting, in, another, putting, giving perspective to the parts that have been difficult. There's another image you might like. I was talking to a client and I said, you know, darling, I want you to think of a little espresso cup, a little tiny. That, that's the capacity your parents had to love. Mm. But you have an Olympic-sized swimming pool, but maybe even the ocean. And an espresso cup can't fill the ocean, but the ocean can fill the espresso. And your parents had a very limited ability to love. It wasn't their fault. If they could have done better, they would. But you have an ocean capacity of love. So feel sorry for them and move on and don't expect them to fill you up. You know, every day is a little cup, which I had a little cup, a little cup. And my cup, every day I tip some out to my husband, my daughter, my son-in-law, my clients, my friends, but they fill me back up. So my cup is always full. But many of us are tipping that cup out to someone, a married guy, a narcissistic parent, and they can't fill you up. So always feel empty. So when you give, make sure you receive. Give your love to people who are worthy. Don't miss anything that doesn't miss you. And don't love something or someone that isn't willing to love you back. Give and receive. Every time you take a breath, you give and receive. You can't give a breath without taking one. And you can't take one that give because that's the balance. I give a breath, I take one, I take one, I give one. But that's the same balance in life, give and receive. Give to your friends and let them give to you. But if you're just the giver or even worse, the taker, you have no balance and nature really likes balance. I love that. And you make it all sound so simple. So it's a great reminder that perhaps it is. Well, Thank people you say that. to me, you, know, you make it all sound so easy. It's all so Pollyanna. It is simple. The mind isn't complicated at all. It's very simple. Your mind does what it believes you want based on the words you use. Your mind is always trying to move you towards what is familiar and away from unfamiliar. And the way you feel is down to the pictures you make and the words you say to yourself. And that's really it. You know, that's... 30 years of psychology in a few minutes, 
oh, my mind does what I think I want. Yes, I don't go. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to fail. Remember to do the opposite. If your mind is moving you towards familiar, make good stuff familiar, praise yourself, believe in yourself, be nice to yourself. And if the way you feel is down to the pictures you make in your head and the words you say, then think better words and use better pictures. And then your life will change. You know, I was, I've had the joy of putting my program now into several thousand schools. And recently I was teaching my method to schools all over the world. And I, I put a big triangle on the floor, marked it out in tape, and had these children stand at the first place. I said, okay, I want you to think of thought. It's got to be a bad thought. Think of thought and put it on the board. And the thought was, people don't like me. I'm not cute. I don't have friends. I'm no good at math. Now I want you to run to the next point and put a feeling on the board that comes from thinking that thought. And these kids were seven and they got it. I feel sad. I feel frustrated. I feel helpless. I feel angry. Now run to the next point and describe the behavior. And one of the guys said, well, I cry. And the boy said, I get so angry. I shout at people. And now run back to the thought. And now you're seeing it's not a loop. It's a triangle. Thought, feeling, action, thought, feeling, action. And they all got it. It's the thought that starts it all off. It's not the feeling or the action. Now let's change the thought. Let's write on the board the opposite. I got loads of friends. I'm a smart kid. One woman said, I like what I see when I look in the mirror because she said, I'm not cute. So I like what I see. And then they ran to the feeling. What's the feeling? I feel cool. I feel powerful. I feel happy. Now run to the behavior. I asked the teacher to help me because I'm smart. I invite friends to come for sleep because I'm in, I've got lots of friends and they all got it at that age that everything starts with a thought. And if everything starts with a thought and we make our thoughts better, then we're starting at the point where it all begins, a thought. And so your life is changed dramatically by thinking better thoughts as often as you can. People say, but that's so simple. We, so what? It might be simple. It's also incredibly true. I'm receiving all this. <laughs> I am. Thank, Thank you. you for it. So... Finally, I have three rapid fire questions that I like to ask every guest here on Dropping In. The first one is, I'd like to grant you one wish for our listeners and our viewers. What would it be? I would wish that everybody would know with unshakable conviction that they are enough. What is something that you wish for yourself? I wish for my RTT to be in so many more schools all over the world. I wish for so many children to get this. In fact, I wish to put myself out of business by getting children so young that they don't need therapy. And what is the most important offering you'd like our viewers and listeners to take away from our conversation today? That don't give anyone else agency over your life. The way you feel is down to the thoughts you think and the pictures you construct, which you can change at any time. And when you do that, you take control of your life and it lasts forever. So if people would like to find out more about you and all of the work you're doing and the books you're writing, where can they find you? 
you know, I'm forever pleased that I've got a name Marissa Peer because there's only one. I mean, a bit like Tigger, I'm the only one. So go <laughs> to marissapeer.com. And at marissapeer.com, we have a lot of audios. They're all free. We don't ask for a credit card. We have audios on money blocks and love blocks and health blocks and success blocks. You can take them all. So marissapeer.com is where you can get lots of free stuff and find it when I'm next teaching, what I'm next doing. If you want to find an RTT therapist, it is amazing. Even better if you think, well, I'd like, I want to do what you do. I'd love to be a therapist. You don't need any background in psychology to train with us. So go to rtt.com and you can find out how to train with us. And finally, if you want some I'm Enough products, go to imenough.com and join the I'm Enough movement. And if you really want to see how RTT works and even do a little bit of it for yourself, of course, you can't do the whole thing. But my last book, Tell Yourself a Better Lie on Amazon, has many RTT techniques in it and four different RTT recordings on confidence and self-esteem and love blocks and wealth blocks um, and shutting down the inner critic. And each of those costs like $35, but the entire book's only 10 so you get $140 value for like 10. And I'd love you to buy it because it will help you. Somebody said to me, he said, I read that. So I cried from beginning to end. I don't know what you did. I haven't touched alcohol since I read that book. I read the case history about Ryan and alcoholic. And I thought, oh my God, that's me. I don't know what you did. He said, but I, I've never drunk since. And you were right to me, lovely um feedback and success or is just from reading that book so if you want help I promise you it'll help you and if it doesn't I'll personally give you your money back thank you so much Marissa it's such okay. a pleasure thank you for making the time today no, so nice so to meet welcome. you it was lovely to meet you too thanks for dropping in with Omega Institute if you like what you hear tell your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts it helps new listeners find us if you'd like to see what we look like, watch the video version of Dropping In on Omega's YouTube channel. Dropping In is made possible in part by the support of Omega members. Omega members enjoy a host of beneficial experiences when they donate to help sustain Omega's programming. To learn more, visit eomega.org membership and check out our many online learning opportunities featuring your favorite teachers and thought leaders at eomega.org slash online learning. I'm Callie Alpert, producer and host of Dropping In. Our video editor is Granel Knox. The music and mix are by Scott Mueller. Thanks for dropping in. <laughs>